Hey, good morning. Good to see you. You are alive and well, I can tell. It's going to be fun today. Uh, my name is Mike. I'm one of the pastors as well here at Rocky Peak. If it's your very first time, uh, I want to welcome you. Glad you're here. I've got a couple things to, to update you on before we go into our time of teaching. First of all, if you were here two weekends ago, we announced for the first time that we were going to be going to Israel in May. We had room for about almost 60 people, and that before the weekend ended, that group, that, that, that bus was full. And so we went back next week, and we said, let's create another bus. Let's create a trip in September. That trip is now full. It's done. And so uh, I'm out of trips for this year. And so... Uh, Anyway, so we are, we are looking tentatively, we're beginning to plan uh, and look to spring of 2015 for our next trip. And, and just, uh, so I'm not making a promise to that, but uh, that's kind of the, the direction we're thinking, praying, planning. Uh, and so if you didn't get in on the first two, because I need to pray about this, <laughs> too late. Uh, so uh, you can now start praying about 2015 and, and, the, and the, the spring. We're looking forward to being some great times together. Secondly, I want to give you an injury report on our staff, uh, <laughs> since it's NFL Sunday, uh, who's probable, who's questionable, uh, whatever, but uh, I shared with you a couple of weeks ago that Dave uh, has been really sick, uh, that he's uh, got extreme kidney stones, in fact, they had to go in and do surgery on them, they were that bad, but he's, uh, he's recovering, and so he's, uh, he's, he's back for game time. He's uh, back, uh, he's back to, uh, this weekend. And he was here on Wednesday and Thursday, and he's kind of getting, getting his strength back. So that's good news. I shared with you a few weeks ago that J.D., our worship pastor, that uh, J.D. Has, has had a severe case of pancreatitis. He's been hospitalized a couple times with severe pain. Uh, he actually had an endoscopy on Friday to go in and see what's going on. Uh, the, the news was uh, pretty good news. Uh, they did say that in his gallbladder, they used a highly technical term, in his gallbladder there is sludge. Thought that was for engine oil. But uh, anyway, uh, that, so they're going to be taking out his gallbladder in the theory that this may be what's causing it. They don't know what's causing it. So, uh, so, so we're going to have some sludge removal soon. Um, this week, hopefully, we don't have a date on that. But uh, man, JD's gone through it the last couple of months. And so continue, uh, appreciate continued prayer for him, for that surgery, for healing, that this would be the issue, that God would, God would heal him. And so that's it. Uh, the good news is I'm still standing. Um, yeah, so I'm here, and uh, I'm getting a little sick of doing everything around here, but other than that, uh, other than that, it's great, and it's good to have uh, Dave back. So uh, we're going to go into our time of teaching right now. If you're brand new, a special welcome uh, inside the program is a green and white message note sheet we use every week for our time of teaching, and so if you guys are all set, I'm ready to go. You guys ready to go? Yeah. All right, let's pray. Well, God, we're just excited to be here. We're thankful to be followers of Jesus. We're thankful for the life, death, death, and resurrection of our true king and the new life that that gives to us. And today, Lord, as we come to the final episode of the second season of, of the Gospel of Mark, we pray that you would just be with us, speak into this, uh, be our leader, our teacher. I pray for a great freedom and trust as I teach. I pray that as a church, we gather around your word, be open to what your spirit would say, both to us as a church and to individuals, and that we would be uh, changed and moved and transformed because we're here today. We pray it in your name. Amen. Well, today we're continuing this series that we've been in the last couple of months called uh, Jesus, the Call to Follow. And uh, for those of you who've been here, you know this, this is the second, uh, the second in a three-part series on the life and teaching of Jesus as told and seen through the eyes of one of the leaders of the early movement of Jesus. His name was Mark. He's a close personal friend of the Apostle Peter. 
So towards the end of Peter's life, either right before or right after his death, uh, Peter writes down, uh, kind of, uh, Mark writes down Peter's memoirs uh, about the life and the teaching of Jesus. And so we're coming to the end today of, of the second season. I'm looking at like season, like three seasons, right? And so I'm looking at like the, the second season, the second series, and today's the final episode. And today Mark is going to tell us the story of another healing of Jesus. We haven't had one for a while. It's a, it's a healing of a man named Bartimaeus. And uh, it's the only healing in the Gospel of Mark where we're given the name of the person. Uh, it's, it, he's, uh, uh, it's, it's, uh, Mark's going to give us a lot more detail about this healing. He's going to wrap up a season two with this healing. And the question, of course, is why? Why is Mark choosing to, uh, to include this event at this time in the story? Luke doesn't include it. Matthew doesn't include it. John doesn't include it. Why is Mark including this event at this time? And so, uh, if you have your Bibles, I'd like you to turn with me to Mark chapter 10. Uh, if you've got your apps, go ahead and turn those on. There in your note sheet is a section called Bartimaeus, the Passion and the Pursuit. And I want to set this up. So if you've been with us in this series, you know that for the, the last you know, few months, Jesus and his men have been traveling from the north of the nation, the area called the Galilee. They've been traveling south, uh, kind of south, and then over to the east. They've crossed over the Jordan River. They're coming down the area called Perea. And, and so two or three times on this journey, three times to be exact, Jesus has pulled his men aside, and he said, we're heading towards Jerusalem, and I'm going to be arrested and executed, and then I'm going to rise. And so, of course, we've talked about this a lot. They don't understand what he's talking about. They're not really clear on this whole paradigm. Messiahs win. Messiahs don't lose, so they're really confused, but they've been traveling south, and so now they're arriving uh, in the southern part of the nation. They've just crossed over the Jordan River. They're at the ancient city of Jericho. Now, Jericho is one of the oldest cities uh, in, in, in human history. It's been inhabited since uh, for about 8,000 years. Uh, in the time of Jesus, it was a resort town. If you were to picture, the nation of Israel is very small, but if you were to picture the nation of Israel, if you were to picture, say, on a summer day, you're going you're to travel from Malibu to Big Bear to Palm Desert. That would be like going from the coast of Israel to Jerusalem to Palm Springs in a day. And so you're going to see this, this major weather shift that's going to happen. It's going to be exactly the same kind of weather shift. And so, uh, so Jericho is actually below sea level. It's out in the desert. It's, uh, it's, it gets pretty warm there. It's, it's a resort town. And Herod the king, uh, Herod the Great, had, had built a big palace there. Uh, There's a lot of resort things there. And so it's, it's a famous place. So Jesus and his men are approaching Jericho. Now, when they're in Jericho, in Luke's gospel, we know that he has this famous encounter with a top-level tax collector named Zacchaeus. Okay, so that happens in this trip. Now Jesus is leaving town, and on his way out, uh, that he's going to be coming out. He's got his disciples with him. He's got a large crowd gathering with him, right? So it's kind of a major gathering. As they're coming out, they're going to come across a blind man. This is very normal in Israel. Uh, often uh, blind, poor, crippled, would, would, they'd sit outside of a city, where by, the, by the city street, or the, the, the main road, so people are coming in and going out. It's a great place. It's kind of like being homeless uh, at Costco on the way out. It's got a great spot there, a lot of people, traffic coming in, going out, so you can, you know, alms for the poor, that kind of thing. And so this, this man's there, Bartimaeus. Now, we don't know a lot about him. We don't know if he was born blind or if he became blind. 
But we, for, for a long time, he's been blind. He can't see. He's kind of ragged there. He's got his spot. He goes there, we're assuming, probably every day to be begging. And so what's going to happen is that Jesus and his entourage are coming out of the city. I'm sure people are lined up, kind of trying to see him. And, and this guy there named Bartimaeus, he hears that Jesus of Nazareth is coming. Now remember, in the day of Jesus, Jesus was a very common name. There were a lot of Jesuses running around. So, so Jesus of Nazareth identifies which Jesus this is. He has heard, I'm sure he's heard stories about this man, about him calming seas, about him feeding thousands, about him healing uh, uh, lame people, about him curing leprosy, about him opening the ears of the, the deaf, opening the eyes of the blind. And so I'm sure he's dreamed about this. He would love to have gone up to the north, to Galilee, uh, get a friend or something, go up north, look for Jesus, see if he can be healed. But, but he's blind, he's poor, there's no way for him to get there. And so on this day, you can imagine his excitement that now Jesus has come to him. And so he's sitting there, he's begging, word on the street is that Jesus is heading his way. And so all of a sudden, adrenaline rush, right? This is my chance. It's my one shot. He can't go out in the road. He's going to get trampled if he does. So he's going to stay by the side, and he's going to begin to call out. So we'll see what happens. So Mark chapter 10, we'll pick it up in verse 46. And so they, they came to Jericho. Jesus and his men, they came to Jericho. And as Jesus and his disciples, uh, they're together with a large crowd. They're leaving the city. There's this blind man, Bartimaeus, that is son of Timaeus. He's sitting by the roadside begging. And when he hears this Jesus of Nazareth, he begins to shout. And here's what he's going to shout. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And so, so picture this, right? These, the, the crowd's coming out. He's there. Uh, he begins to shout. Now, this is really interesting because son of David is sort of a messianic term or it has messianic overtones. And this is very important because in the Gospel of Mark, it's the first time other than the disciples of Jesus have ever referred to Jesus in messianic terms. And this blind man by the side of the road, he's calling out with the highest praise that he can imagine, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me, right? So, so as he's yelling, uh, the people around him are getting irritated because he is the lowest on the social totem pole. He's like a homeless guy today. He's, uh, he's blind. He's poor. Uh, in their culture, it was often believed that if you're blind or you're lame or you're born that way, that it was because of some sin in your life. And so either your sin or your parents' sin. Remember in John chapter 9, they, the disciples come across a blind man. We'll talk about this later in, in chapter 9. And the disciples turned to Jesus. They said, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? It was a common belief. So this guy is so low into the totem pole. In their mind, there's no way that Jesus is going to care about this guy. And so as they're coming out, parade-like situation, people lined up. This guy begins to yell. He can't go out in the street because he's going to get trampled. He can't see where he's coming. He begins to yell, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And he begins to call, and people are getting irritated. And, and the, more, the louder the crowd's coming, uh, the louder he's getting. And so he's yelling louder and louder, and they're beginning to sh knock it off, shut up. It's like, you're a nobody, knock it off, be quiet. And the more that they tell him, the louder he gets. Now, typically when we read a story like this, an account like this, 
we read it from a third-person perspective. Even as I just described that, probably in your mind's eye, you were visualizing that. And so we, we're outside the story. Mark's telling the story. We can see the crowd coming. We can see the dust rising. We can hear the sound of their voices. We can see Jesus in the middle. We can see disciples around him. We can see the crowd coming closer. And then the camera pans in our mind's eye over to blind man, Bartimaeus, sitting there, ragged, with his ragged cloak, sitting there. And we can, we can watch the crowds kind of several deep there. And we begin to hear him call out. And, and the camera's pointing. He's been, Jesus, son of David. And we begin to watch him scream out, right? And we begin to watch people get mad at him. And now he's just ignoring them, getting louder and louder. And so we see this. We see the entourage coming. We see the blind man sitting. We see him calling out. We see him rebuked. We see it all like in 3D in front of our eyes. But I want to take you on a different journey right now. And I want you to invite you to go with me. And I need you to do something. It's going to feel a little weird, but just do it because we're all going to do it. Even I'm going to do it. I want you to close your eyes. I want you to close your eyes with me, and I want you to enter in, not to the world of Mark who's telling the story, not the world of Jesus who's coming, not the world of the crowd or the people next to the blind man. I want you to enter with me into the world of the blind man. You're absolutely blind. Your Your world is dark. At least for years, maybe your own life, you've never, you've never seen the birds fly. You've never seen a blue sky. You've never seen white clouds. You've never seen people. Your life has been lived in a world of darkness. Your ears have become very sharp. You've become very attuned to all your senses, your sense of smell, your sense of, tuss, of, of touch, your sense of uh, just, just all of your senses are heightened. And you're sitting there that day. And it's just a normal day. It's a day you come every day. You come to this place. You beg. You hope for enough just to make enough food so you don't starve. You're sitting there. You've got your ragged clothes around you. And all of a sudden, you get word. You get word that Jesus of Nazareth is coming. This is like too good to be true. This is something you maybe even prayed for. And you can hear the rumble. And you can hear, you can feel the vibration of the crowd as they're approaching. You can smell the dust in the air. You can hear the sound of their voices and they're coming closer. And you begin to realize this is your one shot. You've only got one shot. And so you wait until you, they're close enough. You think they can begin to hear you. And you begin to shout out, Jesus of Nazareth, son of David, have mercy on me. And the crowd is so loud, you can tell that they, there's no way he can hear your voice. And so you begin to call out louder, Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on me. And now the people around you are getting angry, and they're beginning to turn. They're telling you, shut up and knock it off and be quiet, and we don't want to miss this. But this is the, you cannot miss this opportunity. And so you're getting louder, Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on me. And your world is dark, and he's passing you by. You can hear the crowd, and they're starting to miss. And it's your last chance, and you're shouting with all your voice. And all of a sudden, the crowd, the shuffle, begins to come to a standstill. Something's happening. You don't know what's going on. And all of a sudden, those who've been around you telling you to shut up have changed your tone. And they're, they're telling you to call, that he's calling for you. 
And so you get up and you throw off your cloak and you don't know which direction to go. You don't know exactly where he is. There's still just 100 or 200 people there, whatever it is, and and you, you can't see where to go. And so you begin to stumble slowly into the crowd. Fortunately, one of the disciples comes and takes you by the hand and says, follow me. And so now you're, you're walking in darkness. You still don't know where you're going. You get there, and, you, and all of a sudden, you hear a voice. You hear a voice speaking to you, but you don't, know, you don't know if he's tall or short, big or small. You don't know the color of his hair. You don't know the color of his eyes. Let's open our eyes and read what happens. So 47, when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to shout, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And many rebuked him and told him to be quiet. But he shouted all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. And all of a sudden, the crowd stops and Jesus says, call him. And they call to the blind man. Their voice changes. Cheer up on your feet. He's calling you. And so they lead him to Jesus, he throws his cloak aside, he jumps to his feet, he comes to Jesus, and remember, he's still in the dark, he still can't see, and all he hears is a voice from the darkness, what do you want me to do for you? And the blind man speaks back to the voice, he says, Rabbi, I want to see, and at that moment, Jesus says, it's done. And he opens his eyes, and the first thing he sees is the face of Jesus. And maybe the first face he's ever seen. The first thing, he sees those eyes, he sees the hair, he sees the compassion on his face. The first thing he sees is the face of Jesus. And now, and now his peripheral vision is kicking in. He's starting to see the sky. He's starting to see the blue sky. He's starting to see the clouds. He's starting to pick up the crowd around him. And in that moment, his life changes forever. And so Mark writes, verse 52, Jesus says, go, your faith has healed you. You see, this is what Jesus heard. Jesus is walking along, and he hears at the edge of his peripheral, uh, his, his hearing, In the the midst of the noise, he begins to hear a lone voice crying out above the crowd, Jesus of Nazareth, son of David. And Jesus hears that. He hears the passion. He hears the intensity. And he stops. And he responds. He says, call that man, whoever you call it. You see, it was this man, he, he believed if he could just get to Jesus, Jesus would respond. The crowds told him Jesus wouldn't. The crowds told him Jesus didn't care. But if I, if I could just get to him, I know he'll help me. And so Jesus says, your faith has healed you. And immediately he received his sight. And then catch this, how Mark ends the story. He, he followed Jesus on the road. There was nothing left for him in Jericho. He didn't go back. He just, he just followed, maybe to Jerusalem. You know, Jerusalem's 15, 20 miles away, up a long, windy road, kind of a dangerous road. It's where the story of the Good Samaritan sat. And so he's going to go with Jesus to Jerusalem, to the temple. Maybe he's going to offer a thank offering. We don't know, but he's just he's not leaving Jesus' side. And so the story ends with him following Jesus on the road. 
And so obviously it's, it's an amazing story. It's a, it's a powerful story, especially when you slow down and take, take time to picture it in your mind. But the question is, why is Mark telling the story here? Luke doesn't tell the story. Matthew doesn't tell it. Why here? Why now? And there in your note sheet, there's a section called Bartimaeus, the Path to Life. And I want to share with you three reasons why I think Mark is sharing the story, why he's sharing it now, what it means for our life. And so here we go. The first, the first reason that Mark is sharing this story is because Bartimaeus illustrates an important truth, and we'll talk about this more in a minute, that Jesus opens, he came to open eyes. That this is why Jesus came, he came to open eyes. If you ask the question, why did Jesus, uh, why did Mark include this story, and why does he include it here, uh, I think there'd be a couple reasons. One is just another amazing healing, right? Well, uh, one of the reasons is just, it's one more sign of who Jesus is. We've talked about this all the way through the Gospel of Mark. The miracles of Jesus, uh, the, 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 the calming of the storm, the walking on water, the healing of the demoniacs, the healing of the lepers, uh, the... These, these are more than just random acts of uh, kindness or power. These are signs and symbols that say Jesus and his message are true. Uh, Jesus came and said the kingdom of God, long promised by the prophets of Israel for a thousand years, that one day the kingdom of God would break into time and space. Jesus said that kingdom is near, and his miracles were a sign that the power of the coming kingdom was breaking into time and space. They were authenticating Jesus and his message. And so, Mark, this is, this is the last miracle we're going to see in the Gospel of Mark. That this last miracle, we're going to see an amazing miracle, Jesus opening the eyes of the blind. Why? Because in, back in the prophets, in the Old Testament, it said that when Messiah came, when the kingdom of God came, uh, when, when the kingdom broke into time and space, that the lame would walk, the blind would see. And so, so Jesus is fulfilling uh, these prophecies about the coming of the kingdom. And that's the first reason why Mark's telling us. It's just a, another amazing miracle story showing who Jesus is. But there's a second reason. And the second reason is that these miracles of healing of the blind in Mark's gospel are like a parable. They're an object lesson of what it requires for us to come to Jesus. Uh, scholars will point out there's only two miracles, uh, two healings of the blind in all of the Gospel of Mark. They both come at critical junctures. The first one comes back in chapter 8 where the disciples, after seeing everything that Jesus has done, he's just fed the 4,000, they're just not getting it. They're seeing the miracles, but they don't get the significance. They're, they're seeing what he's doing, but they're not understanding who he is. And Jesus says, do you have eyes, but you don't see? What's wrong with you? And right after that, Jesus heals the eyes of a blind man, and then they go to Caesarea Philippi, where for the first time their eyes are open, and they see Jesus is more than a great man, more than a great teacher, more than a prophet, uh, more than a miracle worker, that he is the Christ, he's the King of Israel, he's the Messiah, he is the Son of God. And so the first miracle was kind of showing that whole, how their eyes needed to be open. This, this is the second one, and it comes at a very important point. When we leave chapter 10 in our next series, our third series, the kind of third season of this series, the third season, it opens with Jesus riding on a donkey down the Mount of Olives into Jerusalem. 
to fulfill the ancient prophecy of Zechariah 9.9 that your king comes to you riding on the colt of a donkey. The crowds will be picking up branches and worshiping him and saying, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the son of David. But at this point in the gospel of Mark, no one has recognized who Jesus is other than disciples. No one who's realized who he is, he's the son of David. Only the blind man has recognized him. He's the first and only person who's realized who Jesus really is. When we move into chapter, in chapter 11, the very next scene, a lot of people are going to realize who Jesus is. It's the blind man who first has his eyes open to who Jesus is. And what's ironic about this is Jesus marches into Jerusalem, arrives into Jerusalem, the spiritual leaders of the nation who have the most education, who know their Bibles better than everyone else, who should realize that he's the son of David, they don't realize he's the son of David. And what we've seen throughout the Gospel of, of Mark is that those who think they see are really blind, and those who are blind who have their eyes open. In fact, in, in John's Gospel, John refers, I mentioned this in John chapter 9, to an earlier visit of Jesus to Jerusalem. And when he comes, Jesus heals a man that's been blind by birth. And the man, of course, realizes who Jesus is. He's sent from God. But the, the religious leaders are not recognizing it. They're, they're ignoring that obvious evidence. And this is what Jesus says there in your note sheet. John chapter 9, this is from the New Living Translation. Jesus said, I enter the world to render judgment, to give sight to the blind like uh, Bartimaeus, and to show those who think they see that they are blind. And so throughout the Gospel of Mark, Mark is teaching this principle that to come to Jesus, it requires a supernatural work of God in our life where God opens our eyes to see who Jesus is. He's more than a man. He's more than a great prophet. He's more than an ethical leader. He's more than a, a moral uh, a kind of pioneer. He's more than a prophet, that he is the Christ. He's the Messiah. He's the, the Son of God, the King of Israel. And, and Mark is drawing out this story that for someone to realize who Jesus is, it requires a miracle. God has to open our eyes who Jesus is. This is how we start. And so Bartimaeus becomes a model of a Christ follower, you see? And Bartimaeus becomes a model of what it requires to come to Jesus. Jesus is the one who opens eyes. Number two, the second reason he tells us this, this uh, records this event here is that Bartimaeus also becomes the picture of what it looks like to passionately pursue Jesus. And so the way the principle goes is like this, that Jesus responds to those who seek him. Now, we've seen this principle all the way through the Gospel of Mark. We, we've seen it. Jesus responds. In fact, Jesus never doesn't respond to anyone who seeks him. Uh, what you never see in the Gospel of Mark is someone coming to Jesus and going, no, sorry, too busy for you. Uh, if you come, uh, he's going to respond. And so in chapter 1, the leper comes, unclean, right? Uh, don't come, you're not supposed to get within whatever, 50 yards, whatever it is. Uh, and yet he comes to Jesus, runs to him, breaks the law, falls down at his feet, and Jesus will say, hey, get away from me, you're unclean, this is breaking the law. He says, and the guy says, if you're willing, you can heal me. And Jesus said, I am willing. His heart's full of compassion, we're told, and he touches him. If you come to Jesus, he responds. 
chapter 2, I love this story. You know, the four guys bring their buddy who's paralyzed on a mat. The house is packed. So what do they do? They get up and cut a skylight. You know, they deface public property. And Jesus is going, way to go, guys. And he says, he, he looked up and you just see Jesus smiling. He looked up and he goes, when he saw their faith, he said, son, your sins are forgiven. And he goes on to heal him. Jesus responds. Uh, you, go, you move to chapter 5, you got the synagogue ruler who, who may be losing face and losing place in the community, but his daughter, 12-year-old tweener, she is sick, and she's about to die. So he comes to Jesus, will you come and help my daughter? Yes, I will. By the time she gets there, raised from the, she's dead. He says, just keep on trusting. Heals her, raised her from the dead. You get to chapter 7, there's a Greek woman, a Gentile. Jesus is north. He's out of Israel. He's in Gentile country. He's trying to lay low. He doesn't want anyone to know he's there. She finds him. Will you heal my daughter? She's got a, a demon. She's, she's in the straight. She says, hey, that's not really my agenda. It's not my calling. It's not my assignment. She says, listen, I know that, but even the dogs get to eat the crumbs. She would not turn away. And Jesus says, yes, and he heals her. What we've seen all through the Gospel of Mark is that Jesus responds to people who passionately pursue it. And Bartimaeus is our next example. You see, the people of Bartimaeus' day said, Jesus doesn't care about you. You're a nobody. You're at the bottom of the, of the, of the feeding, uh, you know, the food chain. You, you, you're a, a blind man. You're probably born in sin. You're, you're a nobody. You're poor. He doesn't have time. Jesus is important. He doesn't have time for people like you. And how many times have we believed that about God? We, we believe in our life that because of our past or because of what we've done or because of our sin or because of our, where we're at uh, socioeconomically or because of our education or lack of education or because of the crimes we've committed that Jesus won't care. Well, Bartimaeus doesn't buy in it. Bartimaeus said, no, I believe if I get to Jesus, he will care. And everyone around him was yelling at him, no, he won't. And he refused to listen to the voices in the crowd. He refused to listen to any voices or doubts in his own mind. He believed if I can get to Jesus, he'll respond. And of course, Jesus does. He says, it's your faith, this, this belief that if you passionately pursued me, it would be rewarded. He says, I, I'm going to respond to that. And this is what you see all through the Bible. It's not just Jesus. It's all through the Bible. We see this principle that God responds to those who passionately pursue him. Now catch this. We also see the corollary. God does not respond to people when they're one foot in and one foot out. And you see it all through the Bible. Uh, look at on your note sheet. Deuteronomy 4, this is where the nation of Israel is first coming out of bondage in Egypt. They're about to go into the promised land. And Moses is talking to them. He says, if you seek the Lord your God, you will find him if you look for him with what? All your heart and what? All your soul. Remember what we said, the number one commandment, love God. All your heart, all your mind, all your soul, your strength. This is consistent. And here he says, you will find him when you seek him with all your heart. But catch this, not before. You, move, you fast forward in time, about 800 years in time, the nation of Israel has been rebelling against God. 
As a result, they're losing their homeland. They're going into captivity and slavery. And God sends the prophet Jeremiah to them. And here's what he says, next verse there. God says, I know the plans I have for you. Catch this. God has a plan for his nation. He's got a plan for your life. I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Catch this, they're plans to prosper you and not to harm you. They're good plans. He said, plans to give you a hope and a future. I often use this term, God has a preferred future for your life. So God's saying to the nation, I know you've screwed up. I know you've rebelled against me. I know you've disobeyed. I know as a result your life is falling apart. I know it's horrible. He says, but I want you to know I still love you and I have a plan. And notice what he says next. He says, you will seek me and find me when you seek me with what? All your heart. So catch this. What God is saying is, I know your nation's destroyed. I know your life's a mess. I know you've lived in rebellion against me for a long time, and that's why your life's a mess. He says, I want you to know I love you. I have a plan for you, and and when you seek me with all your heart, I'm ready to unveil that plan. But catch this. what, What God is saying is, you're not ready. So I've got a plan, and you'll experience it when you seek me with all your heart. Subtitle, you're not ready yet. Many times in our life, we have to do life our own way long enough till we screw up our life bad enough till we're ready to pursue God with all our heart. God's got a plan. He loves us. It's a good plan, future and hope. We're not ready. And so God says, hey, when you get ready, let me know. And basically, it's, it's like the reason for this is because if God were to show you the plan before you're really ready to seek him with your whole heart, you know what you would do? You would pick and choose. You'd say, you need to go this way. Yeah, that makes sense. Good. I'll take that one. Now you need to go this way. No, I don't think so. Well, the plan just got screwed up, right? So it's like, I'll just wait until you're ready. It's not going to work very well until you're ready. Look at the next passage, Hebrews 11. Without faith, and remember Jesus' response to Bartimaeus, his faith, his his trust that Jesus would, would help him. He says, without faith, it's impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him, like Bartimaeus, must believe he exists and that he rewards those who what? Earnestly seek him. So you see it all through the Bible. So Bartimaeus becomes a picture of what it looks like to passionately pursue Jesus. For Bartimaeus, it was Jesus or bust, right? Nothing was going to stop it. Everyone around him, shut up, knock it off. He doesn't want to see. But for, for Bartimaeus, it was like, I have got to get to Jesus. And he becomes a picture of what it looks like to pursue Jesus in our life. I believe in that man. And I'm going to follow him. And I'm going to get to him. I'm not going to let anything stop me from following him. And number three, there's a third reason that he uses Bartimaeus here at this point. Is that Bartimaeus becomes an important model of this principle that Jesus calls us to follow.
And of course, this is the name of this whole series, Jesus, the call to follow. And so what we've seen from day one in this series is that if we're going to follow Jesus, that we have to be willing to be countercultural. We have to be willing to swim upstream, go against the values of our culture. We've learned that if we're going to follow Jesus, we have to be radical. You remember that? That Jesus said, if you're going to follow me, you have to be willing to die for me. That's radical. We learned that very first week. If you're going to follow me, you have to be future focused. You have to live this life for the next life. And so from the very beginning, Jesus is separating the wheat from the chaff. In series one, the, the first, in, the, in the first series, uh, Christ, Jesus the King, we, we, we stood with the crowds and we watched Jesus do his amazing miracles and teaching. And we were in the crowd and we were watching him and coming to the conclusion, who is Jesus? And by the end of the first series, we know Jesus is more than a man. He's more than a prophet. He's more than a miracle worker. He is the Messiah. That's the end of series one. And now in series two, Jesus says, let me tell you what it means to follow me. You can either be in the crowd or you can be in my kingdom. So let me tell you what it takes. You've got to be countercultural. You have to be radical. You have to be future focused. And what we've seen is that some people are willing to follow and some are not. Like earlier in this chapter, chapter 10, we met a young man who has every advantage in life. He's young. He's wealthy. He's a leader. He's been raised in a great family. He's had a great education and a great spiritual upbringing. He's got a hunger for God. Remember that? We call him the rich young ruler. He's got every advantage. He comes to Jesus. He asks Jesus for healing, not for physical healing like Bartimaeus. He asks him for a spiritual healing. He says, what must I do to receive eternal life? And so Jesus spells it out. You're going to have to sell your assets, and you're going to have to follow me. It's countercultural. It's radical. It's future focus. I know, but you're going to have to follow me. And remember, the guy says no because he doesn't think it's worth it. The, the price is too high. So Jesus calls him to follow. He says no. Then you get to the end of the chapter, and Mark ends the chapter with someone on the opposite end of the social spectrum. This guy has no advantage. He, he's got no money. He's a beggar. He's, he's poor. He's blind. Can't even see where he's going. And yet this is the guy who ends up following Jesus. In fact, that's how the story ends. Look, look at this. This is no accident that Mark puts it this way. In Mark chapter 10, in verse... 52 in the middle of verse, he says, immediately he received his sight, and then he says next, he followed Jesus along the road, or in the Greek, the way. Now, we've not talked about it in this series, but this metaphor of following Jesus on the way, it's big for Mark. Uh, I don't know if you know this, but in the early church, Christianity was not called Christianity. Christianity was first called the way. If you're to look at Acts chapter 9, Saul of Tarsus was persecuting followers of the way. And so, so when you became a Christ follower, you became someone who's with Jesus on the way. That's how you described it. And so in Mark's gospel, this becomes a metaphor. Following Jesus means, are you on the way? Are you leaving your past and are you on the way? And so you remember the rich young ruler when, he, when he, Jesus told him what it would cost to follow, he said it's too much. And he turned around and walked away from Jesus. Jesus was inviting him to follow him on the way. Jesus was inviting him into the band of brothers. Jesus, 
follow me, I will, you want to know the path to life, I will show you the path to life, follow me on the way, and he wouldn't follow. Blind Bartimaeus had nothing to lose. And so the story ends, Bartimaeus leaves his past, leaves Jericho, he follows Jesus on the way. And so Bartimaeus becomes, for Mark, our author, Bartimaeus becomes a picture of the Christ follower. What does it mean to be a Christ follower? It means to be someone who has opened their eyes. God, God has opened their eyes to see who Jesus is. What does it mean to be a Christ follower? It means to be someone who is passionately pursuing him because that's the only kind of person that God will open eyes of. What does it mean to be a Christ follower? It means to be someone who's willing to leave the past behind and to follow him in the way. And so Rocky Peak, for us as a church, this series is a defining series. In the spiritual realm, this series is a defining series. We have to decide as a church, are we going to be a church that just follows Jesus in the crowd like everyone does at series one? Are we going to be a church that follows Jesus on the way, like series two? He says, this series, this series, the path departs. The crowd stopped following. Now the focus on those who will follow in the way. And so in your life, are, the question is, are you willing to follow Jesus on the way? Are you willing to be countercultural? Are you willing to be radical when required? Are you willing to be future-focused? Will you follow Jesus? Will you take up your cross? Will you die to yourself and your old life so you can rise with him to a new life and move into this future that God has? That's the question. You see, it's a defining moment for us as a church. It's a defining moment for us in our walk with Jesus. This weekend, we have the privilege of baptizing 23 people that are making that decision to follow Jesus. And, and what they're saying is, Jesus has opened my eyes. I no longer see him as a good man, an ethical teacher, a new age guru. I no longer see him as just a prophet, a, a moral pioneer. I see Jesus as the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of God. And, and they're saying, I want to pursue him with my life, and I want to leave my past and follow him in the way. And so right now, we're going to pray and we're going to be moving into this baptismal time. Lauren's going to come and sing for us. And I want you to listen carefully to the words of this song. And I want you to listen through the eyes and the ears of Bartimaeus. And so if you're here to be baptized, feel free to move to the back. Then come around the side and I'm going to pray. Lord, we want to be that church. We want to be a church that's following you with the way. We don't want to be in the crowd. We want to be in the kingdom. And so, Lord, we pray that you would give us the grace, the courage, the faith to follow. That we would be truly countercultural that we would be radical when required, and that we would be future-focused. We pray now as we come and meet with you in this song, we pray you'd speak to our hearts, call to us clearly, that we would follow. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Oh, Lord, that's the prayer of our heart, that we want to, where you lead, we will follow. God, as we've been talking the last eight weeks or so about this call to follow, we pray that we would surrender at that cross and we would be that church that is a countercultural, radical, future-focused future movement of Jesus to bring the message of Jesus and the hope 
in the, in the preferred future to a world that desperately needs it, both for the world on the outside and for our own lives. And so we pray you'd pour out your spirit on this place. We pray you'd lead us and guide us. We pray we'd, we'd march underneath your banner. We pray we'd surrender to your leadership. We pray you'd guide us by your spirit. We pray you'd empower us to follow. We thank, we're thankful that you've not given us a spirit of fear, but a spirit of love and of power and of sound mind. And so, God, we want to go deep into that. So be our shepherd. Lord, we're asking you to shepherd us well as your sheep, and you would lead us into the future as we learn how to follow. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. 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 Hey, I uh, just want to give you a heads up what's coming the next few weeks. You know, next week, um, we're kind of between series. We're going to do a special message on one of the most uh, famous uh, incidences in the life of Jesus, very compelling story, uh, kind of breathtaking story. I would tell you what it is, but then I'd have to kill you. So, uh, so next week, we're going we're to do a one-off on Jesus, kind of work in this series that we're doing. And then the following week, we're kicking off this brand new series called Real Christmas. Now, inside your program, you have this uh, invite card. The reason we give those to you is so you can invite friends. This is a time of year where many people are much more open to spiritual things. Hey, would you be interested in coming to church? We're doing a series on Christmas and on real Christmas, what it's about. And, uh, and, and so even for Christ's followers, even though we know a lot of the stories of Christmas, we don't know the significance of those stories. We don't understand the larger part they play in the story God's telling in his rescue of the world and the, 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 the path that they lay out for us, what it means to follow Jesus. And so we're going to spend four weeks on that series. And then in the first weekend in uh, uh, January, we'll kick off uh, kind of season three of our story of the life of Jesus. And it's called uh, Jesus the Crucified King. As we jump in the last week of his life, uh, all the events of that week that lead up to his, uh, his uh, arrest and then his execution and his resurrection. And so I hope you can be with us through all of that. But may the Lord be with you. Uh, as you go today, uh, if you need some extra prayer, don't forget, back corner um, of the room to my left. But as you go today, uh, may the Lord be with you. Uh, may the Christ of the resurrection be with you. May you truly be a Christ follower, not, not in the crowd. May you live a life that is truly increasingly countercultural that is uh, radical, that is future-focused as you follow Jesus uh, out of the crowd, into the kingdom, the path that he's leaving. God bless you guys, and we'll see you next weekend.